Good morning, church. Good morning. Thank you for joining us this morning. Please stand with me if you're able, and we'll come together and worship through song. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the King. Good morning, everyone. Everyone here and everyone online is so glad to be back up here after a small break. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, we are glad to see you, and I'm glad to be back up here. Uh, we have quite a few things to cover. Um, tomorrow night, there will be a deacon's meeting at 6, not 6.30. And the pastor wrote on here, don't be late. <laughs> and then Wednesday evening, there will be a prayer and share at 6.30 p.m. We're also planning a Super Bowl party um, on February 12th at 5 p.m. Just bring snacks to share, and it's going to be a great time. Um, and then the youth are having their Valentine dinner on February 18th at 6 p.m. So then we have a few other things that we're working on. Um, do any of you guys have one of these at home? Well, we are going to have a soup and chili cook-off and a Pinewood Derby after church on the first Sunday of March. Um, please be sure and read your newsletter this week because it's going to have a lot of fun and exciting things that the pastor actually said yes to. <laughs> so please be sure and read and um, there will be a lot of new information in there. So um, Charlie, will you please come in? Shall we go to the Lord in prayer? Our most gracious and all-wise Heavenly Father, we thank you very much for uh, this opportunity that we can come and worship you in, in spirit and in truth. And we just uh, ask you to be with us as we go through this service, be with Cliff, Lord, as he brings the message you've laid on his heart, and uh, also be with Adam, Lord, as he leads us in the, the music worship that we have. Lord, the... Uh, to worship you in spirit and in truth, Lord, and those that are out here in this congregation and on the uh, byways, uh, we just ask that if you touch them, Lord, that and they need to make a decision, whether it's baptism, church membership, or moving their membership, Lord, uh, you just lay that on their heart today and speak to them uh, in a way that they know what to do, Lord. And we just want to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory for everything that's going to go on today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand with us if you're able. We'll come together and continue to worship through song. 
water you turned into wine and open the eyes of the blind there's no one like you none like you into the darkness you shine and out of the ashes we rise there's no one like you none like you because our god is greater our god is stronger god you are higher than any other our god is healer awesome in power our god our god into the darkness you shine and out of the ashes we rise there's no one like you none like you because our god is greater our god is stronger god you are higher than any other our god is healer awesome in power our god our god and if our god is for us then who could ever stop us and if our god is with us then what could stand against and if our god is for us then who could ever stop us and if our god is with us then what could stand against what could stand against our god is greater our god is stronger god you are higher than any other our god is healer awesome in power our god our god our god is greater our god is stronger god you are higher than any other our god is healer awesome in power our god our god and if our god is for us then who could ever stop us and if our god is with us then what could stand against and if our god is for us then who could ever stop us and if our god is with us then what could stand against what could stand against because our god is greater our God is stronger, God you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power, our God, our God. Our God is greater, our God is stronger, God you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power, our God, our God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, 
but in order that the world might be saved through him. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Fight in me, thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Lord, now indeed I find Thy power and Thine alone can change the leper spots and melt the heart of stone. Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. And when before the throne I stand in him complete, Jesus died my soul to save, my lips shall still repeat. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raises my up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raises my up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raises light up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raises light up from the dead. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. A crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Sin that left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Please be seated.
All right. I hope that that's obvious. Okay, Jesus paid it all. He paid the price on the cross for our sin. We had sin. He paid the price, and that's the only way to eternal life. That's a great, great thought. I'll praise the name. So we're going to be in a place that's less obvious. All right, we're going to be in the book of Esther. You know, I don't know if you, I was someone through the paper the other day, and, and somewhere in there, there's, you know, there's two pictures, and pick out the, the six differences. And so it's really easy if they're already circled. Just, just saying, right? It's easy to see when, when they're already circled. It's easy to see God at work when God's name's mentioned. But when we look, look in the book of Esther, chapter 3 is where we're at today, we look there, throughout all of the 10 chapters, God's name's not mentioned. And so we, we, need to, we need to identify where God's at work in all of these chapters to see that work. Because I'm going to ask you, how many of you use Post-it notes, right? Yeah, Post-it notes everywhere. But, but God doesn't use Post-it notes to tell you he's there. You've got to figure it out. You've got to figure that out. And that's, that's what we're looking at the book of Esther is to help us hone in on where God's at work or might be at work in our life so that we can praise him for that, that we can look and say, God, what do you want done over here? That's what the book of Esther is about. That's what we want to tie into today. I want this to connect with your life. I want this to connect. Now, I will say this when I get to it. I'll, I'll tell you a little story. But here we are in the book of Esther. How many of you are for a road trip, right? To someplace warmer? <laughs> with maybe sunny skies, right? <laughs> Would be a novel idea. So we're going to go. The book, of, the book of Esther takes place in Susa which is modern-day Shash, I think is how I pronounce that. It's the main capital of the Persian Empire at that time. Right now, it looks like a little spot on the road. Okay, when you look at the map, I'll show you in a minute. It's the main capital of the Persian Empire. It's referenced in Ezra. It's referenced in Ezra when they returned back to start rebuilding the temple and resettling Jerusalem. It's a long way away, but when they were resettling Jerusalem, the, uh, Susa was mentioned. It's also mentioned in this book. It's mentioned in Nehemiah. Nehemiah would come many years later, but that's exactly where he was at was where Esther took place. The story of Esther took place, and then Daniel mentions it because it comes into play in the kingdoms that are going to come after the Persian Empire, the Persian Empire included. So here's a little map just so you know where we're at. This is our, if you're, close your eyes. Well, you can't close your eyes and look at the map, can you? But here, that red dot over there, Shosh, that's where Susa's at. Matter of fact, if, you, if you've got one of those maps and you hoover over it and it gives you a little information, it'll, talk you, it'll tell you that the, the remnants or ruins of Susa are to the east, west, whatever, of, of Shosh. And the blue line ends over in Jerusalem. Okay, that ends over in Jerusalem. So that's the part of the world we're at. Let's talk about the time because, of course, it's not right now that the book of Esther takes place. It, took, it takes place in the reign of King Ahasuerus or, as I was working on this because last week I pronounced these names wrong. It's ex er excess. No. Okay, it's Xerxes, right? Is that right? So just so you know, in case you want to name your grandkid as Xerxes, you name kid Xerxes, okay? Happens 486 to 465. They figure that, that Esther got crowned 479, give or take, right? They returned from the exile. When they were in Babylon, in, they, they were... They returned from there in 536, went back to Jerusalem, rebuilt the temple by 516. But the walls, the story of Nehemiah comes in 445, so we're looking at, what, 30-something years later? That the walls, that, that that's when Nehemiah is standing and he hears the news about Jerusalem. And that's when, he, that's when that story starts is in 445. So that's the time. Here's the outline of what we're looking at as we're talking about the book of Esther. The prob preparing for the future problem. I loved chapters 1 and 2, and I hope you did too. Hope that you got at it. If you weren't here, this is what it was about. Back, read back in chapter 1 and 2. God knew they were going to have a problem. God was doing things that didn't seem connected to Jerusalem. I mean, you know, the king tells the, the, the queen tells the king no. She gets removed. Well, Esther ends up queen. By the way, Mordecai, who's the, the uncle that's taking care of, of the orphan Jewish girl named Esther, 
He overhears a plot against the king. He lets it know. They check it out, and they hang the two guys on the gallows. So he saved the king's life, in essence, or as part of that, that thwarted that plan. So those are kind of footnotes in there. But it still doesn't seem connected to what God is doing. When we roll into the third chapter here, we're going to see the problem is revealed. We didn't know we had a problem. I mean, the only problem there was the king didn't have a queen. And so, but that's not, a, that's not my issue, that's not my concern. But we see here, we're going to see the problem revealed, then we're going to talk about seeking a solution, and then we're going to talk about reversal of the roles, and we'll talk about the solution. So, I want this to understand, how does this connect, as a story of Esther, how many of you are queen? If you've been queen, it was at the county fair or something like that, and it's, you're not queen anymore, right? But anyway, and by the way, you all look like queens, okay? Well, the girls, <laughs> <laughs> so, I want this to connect. What's the parallel between you and Esther? It's trouble. I, I want to. This is a story because I told this the other day. I was at a a gathering on a Friday night or Saturday night, um, religious gathering kind of thing, and and. Um, was a little bit more charismatic than I was comfortable with at the time. This was way back in the 80s, early 80s. And uh, anyway, the band's playing, and the, the drummer gets a vision from God, you know, and, and he says, it's this prophetic voice, and he says, God's telling me there's somebody with money troubles here. I'm like, Hello? Everybody's got that, right? And so, so when I say the parallel is that you're gonna, you're, you have problems in your life, yeah, I'm being generic, all right, but I want you to connect to this. I want you to connect your problem that you're facing, whatever it might be, whatever problem you don't know that exists yet, I want you to connect that to this and see how God worked in Esther's life and how that God might be at work in your life. Yeah, I know it's generic. But, but God's Word speaks into our life. All right? God's Word speaks into our life, and we need to grasp it, understand, relate to it, so that we can connect with it, so that when we have troubles, we can say, well, hey, you helped Esther help me. You helped Mordecai help me. But I, wanna, I also want you to see where God's at work. So you can say, thank you, God, for doing something I didn't realize was going to make a, make a difference down the road. So let's read here. We're going to read the whole book, of the whole chapter of Esther, chapter 3, this morning. I'll be reading in the American Standard. You can follow along in whichever version you have. After these events, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatta, the Agit, and advanced him and established his authority over all the princes who were with him. All the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for so the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai, remember Mordecai is the uncle, and he's the Jewish guy, neither bowed down nor paid homage. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why are you transgressing the king's command? Now it was when they had spoken daily to him, and he would not listen to them, that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's reason would stand, for he had told them he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage to him, Haman was filled with rage. For he disdained to, to lay his hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him who the people of Mordecai were. Therefore, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. In the first month, which is the month Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, per, that is, the lot, was cast before Haman from day to day and from month to month until the twelfth month, that is, the month Adar. When ha then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, there is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of all other people, and they, did not, they do not observe the king's law, so it is, in the king's, it is not in the king's interest to let them remain. If it is pleasing to the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver 
into the hands of those who carry on the king's business to put in the king's treasuries. By the way, that 10,000 talents of silver, I, I was trying to wrestle with that, and of course I had to look at another version, but that's seven, 375 tons of silver. If you weren't inclined to eliminate the Jews before, you might now be, right? 375 tons of silver. Here we go, verse 10. Then the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agit, and the enemy of the Jews. The king said to Haman, the silver is yours, and the people also to do with them as you please. Then the king's scribes were summoned on the 13th day of the first month, and it was written, just as Haman commanded the, to the king's satraps, to the governors who were over each province and to the princes of each people, each province according to its script, each people according to its language, being written in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed with the king's signet ring. Letters were sent to couriers to all the king's provinces to destroy to kill and to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, women and children, in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month Adar, and to seize their possessions as plunder. A copy of the edict to be issued as law in every province was, was published to all the people so that they should be ready for this day. The couriers went out, impelled by the king's command, while the decree was issued at the citadel in Susa. And while the king and Haman sat down to drink, the city of Susa was in confusion. Okay, let's talk a little bit about that. That's, the, that's what we want to talk about is the, the, the problem all of a sudden makes itself known. The problem all of a sudden makes itself known, and it, it's printed up in every language and sent out throughout all the land. And that map that I showed you from Susa to Jerusalem, I want you to understand the kingdom of the, the Persian Empire, King Ahasuerus kingdom, stretched this side of, the, of Susa, and it stretched that side of Jerusalem all the way into, into northern Africa. That's a long way and surrounded a portion of the Mediterranean Sea. So that letter went a lot of places. Uh, you know, that, that, they didn't have email back then. They couldn't press send. But that's essentially what they did using the horses. All right? That's essentially what they did. Now, this problem, this is interesting. Because we read some names up there, and, and it's like, what's the point of those names? Agag and uh, Agiit and so forth like that. What, what's the, the mention of those names? Why is that in there? Why is it that Mordecai has it out for all of the Jews? Uh, not Mordecai, but Agag or, or Haman. How, how is it that he's out for all of the Jews? I want to talk a little bit about an ancient problem. Let's go back and tie this in so that we understand that the problem already existed long ago. And where did it start? It mentioned that he was son of Hamadatha, the Agit. He's a descendant of the Amalekite king Agag. Okay? So again, will that make, does that make sense to you? Do you know who this king is? Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. Do you remember that? They got a roadside sign as you're traveling. No. This is where the battle took place. So here's the, the thing. Let's talk a little bit about that um, when Amalek fought, fought against the Israelites. This was when they were in the wilderness journeys and they were headed towards the promised land. Of course, they were wandering around while that generation died off. But Amalek fought against Moses and his people. And this is the battle where Moses is up on the mountain and her and, and um, Joshua, not Aaron and her, were holding up his arms while Joshua fought the battle down below. After that battle, I want you to know that God said, I will wipe these people from the face of the earth. Okay, you can read that in your footnotes. You'll find that kind of stuff. So let's fast forward to the kingdom period for the Israelites. And this is the United Kingdom period time, and it is when they 
first king is on the stage. We've moved from the period of the judges. We've conquered the land. We put this battle with the Amalekites way behind us. They're still around. When we put that behind us, we've moved all the way through the conquest of the land, the settling of the land, the judges, and now we've come to the first king, Saul. And Saul was commanded by God to wipe out Agag and his people. That was what the Lord was delivering on his promise, on his prophecy. And of course, if you read the story, when Samuel shows up, Samuel goes, what's that noise that I hear? Because he heard the bleeding of sheep, etc. And Saul had taken it upon himself. How many of you have done that, right? I'm going to clean out the whole room, but man, I found some good stuff. And you save it. You, you know, you go, hey, throw this box away. And the next thing you know, whoever you gave that box to is digging through it and pulling things out. I wanted you to throw the box away. But this is good stuff. We might need it. Been there, done that, right? Well, that's exactly what Saul did. He said, well, we saved the best so we could sacrifice, and we, and we spared the king. Well, the king's life was taken, but not all the people of Amalek were put to death. So now we fast forward, right, to the time we're in here. And so this problem has always existed. It's an ancient problem that maybe Mordecai was unaware of. It appears that, that Haman remembered. So these people that were at odds against one another, the Hatfields and McCoys thing, well, it pops back up and comes to play. Uh, and interestingly enough, Mordecai was the descendant of Kish, a Benjamite. Who else is the descendant of Kish? Saul was one of his sons. Isn't it interesting how God works those things out? Trust God. Because God's smarter than you are. God's smarter than I am. Way smarter. All right? You guys are smarter. Okay? But that's what God, God's doing here. When we were up at the, the Illinois Leadership Summit, our speaker, uh, Rodney Harrison, Dr. Rodney Harrison, he said, you know, sometimes when you arrive, he was talking about arriving at a church and, and being in a church, he says, you get there and there's a problem that's there. It's already existed. But when it's now your problem. So this problem between the sons of Amalek and the sons of the, the Israelites, it existed. But now it's Mordecai's problem. Now it's Esther's problem. They have to own the problem. They have to deal with the problem at this time. So when problems pop up and they've been around a long time, understand that when it pops up, it's yours to deal with. You can't hand it off to the past generation that didn't take care of it in the first place. I mean, that's what this kind of is, right? When we put things off, like, like, like the leak in the roof, we put a little saran wrap over top of it, it's coming back. That didn't fix it. And so often we just kind of patch things instead of fixing it. God is going to fix it. Okay, God is going to take care of that. We're going to see the problem. And as we read through the Scripture, let's go back and review the passage of the Scripture now that we've established where this, this rift is at. It's a rift between God and the people He created that decided to turn from Him and fought against His people. And so when we read through the passage of Scripture, we read, first off, Haman's been promoted. He's been promoted to that kind of place where he, he's an important person. And everybody was expected to bow down to him. Of course, Mordecai, the character that we was introduced to in the second chapter, we don't know much about him. But here we get introduced to him, and uh, he, he helped out with the king, and he didn't get promoted. But Mordecai, flip the slide, slide there, Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage. He treated Haman just like anybody else that was walking through the city gate. You're no big deal, and I'm not bowing down to you. He also tells them that he's a Jew. So the, the Scripture isn't clear on why he refused to bow. Was it that he considered an idolatry? We don't know. It doesn't really say there. It doesn't mention that. It just mentions 
in passing that he's a Jew, and we know that he doesn't bow down or pay homage. Now, how does Haman react to that? Remember we talked about the pride issue that King Ahasuerus had? I mean, he's shown off his whole kingdom, and then his wife won't show up, you've embarrassed me? Well, how did, how did he react? And then how does Haman react? We see this, this theme recurs through there. And so Haman was filled with rage. <laughs> Can you imagine the scene of Haman standing before Mordecai? I'll give him a minute. I'll give him another 30 seconds. And, and, and Mordecai just, I don't know, walks off. Everybody else you've walked up to, they bow down. And this one guy, this one guy, he doesn't give you the time of day, and he doesn't bow down. You've given him opportunity, and you, you know, it's time to bow down. I'm not doing it. You're going to bow down? No, I'm not. So Haman reacts with rage. Because he's insulted. His pride's insulted. It's an example. I mean, if you don't bow down, what's, who's going to be next? You've made an example of disrespect to me. And I'm, I want to tell you I'm important. Right? That's how Haman does. And so how does Haman react after he's with the rage? Haman doesn't want to just take out Mordecai. That's not enough. Because he found out who Mordecai belonged to. And he wanted to take out and sought to destroy all the Jews. Okay? He sought to destroy all the Jews. Now think about that for a minute. Not only did he want to wipe out all the Jews in Susa, which is where he was at. But he wanted to go from way over past Babylon to way over in Africa. A national day to wipe them all out. That's the rage that he had. That, my friend, is a problem. That becomes a problem because the king's signet ring went on it. That became a problem because it then became law and was put into every language of the kingdom and passed out. That's the problem. Our problem, as we talk about here, was unseen, but it existed. I want, to, I, want, I want you to think about this for a moment. As we walk through the first two chapters, there's no problems for Mordecai or Esther. As a matter of fact, things kind of, I mean, I don't know what uh, Esther was doing before she became queen, but she wasn't queen. So, all of a sudden, life is much grander than it had been before. I mean, she's queen. And Mordecai, hidden the problems. And matter of fact, the girl that he's been taking care of, she's taken care of. Okay, so he doesn't, I mean, that's, that's a great thing. Both of them seem to be living in the blessings at the moment, unaware of the problem that was coming. It existed, it was there, but they didn't see it. So sometimes in your life, you and I are moving along pretty good. It seems like everything's going along well. Have you ever had a flat tire that things were not going well before? I mean, you just cruise down the road, tires are all good, and all of a sudden, tire goes boom. I mean, I, the old Firestone tire, when I was going to Rankin, I was running on 55 down there oh, south of Staunton, and, uh, and, and I, I got about... 30 seconds of this noise and the car shaking before I lost a hubcap in the tire. I mean, you know, everything was, everything was rosy until then. And that's, off, that's what's going on here. Everything was going well until this chapter. So the problem was coming. It existed already, but it didn't show itself until now. You have that kind of issue going on in your life. Everything looks like all of a sudden, Something happens, and then your world becomes unnerved. 
We're going to read about next week about how they respond, but I'm just going to give you that, that, that little teaser thing that they do at the end of TV shows for next week. They weren't really excited about it. Oh, they're going to kill all of us. It's not good news. So, sometimes we contribute to our problem, and you can take this for what it's worth as you read that passage of Scripture. Mordecai could have bowed down. Mordecai actually contributed to the problem. God's going to show up in this. But sometimes we make our problems, we um, make them worse. All right? And it gets escalated in this. I mean, it escalated from being mad at one guy to being mad at a whole, a whole lot of people. So a problem that starts out little oftentimes ends up being a much larger problem problem where it seems like it only involves you and then the next thing you know it involves way more people than you can count becomes a problem the problems revealed okay the problem is revealed in chapter three this is the issue this is the the turning point the crux of what the story is built around is chapter three when all of a sudden we have a real issue. And in this, we'll talk about it, but we have no real solution. What's the first thing you do when you get a problem? Do you not try to fix it? I mean, that's my first response, is I try to fix it. I see what I can do to remedy the problem. What, what can I do to fix it? You know, is it the, is it the pan under the leaking thing? Is it what, what do I do to fix it? Who do I call that's going to help me fix this? It's that what are we going to do kind of moment when, we, we, when the problem all of a sudden makes itself manifest to itself, manifests itself to us, makes it known to us. We discover that problem, and then we're left with how do we respond to that? How do we respond to that problem? Here's the, the action steps that I want you to think about today as you walk away. In other words, what am I going to do with this passage of Scripture? What do I do? Because oftentimes we look at the story of Esther in a whole. I mean, VeggieTales covers it in 25 minutes. I've had 25 minutes, and I'm, just, I'm, milk, I'm milking this for three more weeks. Just, just honest with you. If I run out of material, what am I going to do, right? But I want us to take a deeper look at this. I want us to grasp this. I want, to, I want to put a rock in our shoes so we think about it. Because between the time that you leave today and the time that you arrive next Sunday for part three of this five-part deal, you'll have encountered some kind of problem. Your life may not be at risk. May have. I don't know. I don't know what the next week brings for you. But here we are looking at, at Esther and Mordecai, and they've got a problem. What are they going to do? And I'm going to ask you this question to look at here. What problem do you face that is bigger than you? And that's being honest. What problem do you face that's bigger than you? Identify that. Last week was, you know, and this is a cool part of it, We'll see that as we move through it. But God was working in a way to deal with a problem we didn't know we had. They still don't see that. They still don't see that. Matter of fact, we don't think of God working until like the, maybe the fourth, fifth chapter. When, when Mordecai says, maybe it's for this that you've been born, right? This is why you've been put in this place. That's when we begin to, ooh, the light's going on. God's at work here. No, God's been at work a long time ago. When you identify the problem, then, I, then maybe you might identify that God has already been at work. You just didn't know it. Preparing you for the problem you didn't know existed. Preparing you for a problem that existed already, but you didn't see it that's going to resurface. So what is the problem? That, what problem do you face that is bigger than you? And what are you trying to do? Guarantee this. Because if you've identified a problem, you've already tried to fix it 
and oftentimes you've tried to fix it on your own. You're like the book of Esther because you haven't brought God into it yet. You, you've got the problem. It's a big problem. It's a huge problem. But you've not turned to God. You've not sought Him out. You've tried to fix it on your own. Be honest about that. Because we want to learn from the book of Esther. Because after I preach next Sunday, you'll have problems after that week. You'll have problems after, after that and after that. I mean, it's just the way life is. Sin corrupted our world. And in our corrupted world, we live with problems. So how are we going to deal with problems? I, mean, I could, you know, we could stop and deal with specific problems. But right now, we want to look at Esther and how they dealt with this problem. And hopefully we don't come to have this problem. But I want us to understand how they dealt with it, how God dealt with it. So that in our lives, on a daily basis, and we walk through our lives, and we have these problems, that we can see that God that we don't have to call God and get God up and make him aware that we had a problem. He knew about it long before we did. And that's where we need to understand that we need to put our trust in him. We're going to give the invitation at this time. Adam's going to come up and play. And as Charlie mentioned in the prayer this morning, maybe it is that you need to come and know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've never accepted him as Lord and Savior. I never said, you, you have the problem of sin. You've been trying to deal with it on your own, trying to be good to get to heaven. doesn't work. The only way that you can do that is through Jesus. Jesus paid the debt. We sang that song. So if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are invited this morning to come and to do that. Secondly, you might want to come and join the church or move your, however it is that you want to join the church, move your membership get baptized, etc. You haven't done those things. You're invited to do that. The other thing I want you to pray for, I want to give you an invitation, is the awareness of God working in your life. How, does, how is God working in your life? And what problems haven't you given to God? Do you want to say, God, help me to let go and help me to give my trust and put my faith in you to deal with the issue that's in front of me. Let's stand. The Lord has promised good to me His word, my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. My chains are gone and I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. My chains are gone, and I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love. Amazing grace. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow. The sun forbear to shine. But God who called me here below will be forever mine will be 
forever mine. You are forever mine. My chains are gone, and I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. My chains are gone, and I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace, unending love, amazing grace. God is in the business of rescuing. My chains are gone. I've been set free. That's exactly what he's done for me and for all of you, I hope. But if not, know that that freedom can come from trusting in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, for the opportunity to gather together as your body to worship together, to know that we're not in this alone. Father, these people around us, these people by our side, behind us, in front of us, Lord, they're walking this road with us. And Father, we pray that together we would trust in, trust in you. Father, that we put our faith in you, Father, that we'd seek to be a shining light as your body, as your church here in Carlinville, and to extend beyond that. Father, I pray that as we walk out these doors, Father, we put our trust in you. Not just today, but in the days to come. Father, help us to see you where the sticky notes don't identify it. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's your have you read for this week. Exodus 37, 38, Joshua 7 and 8, Jude, the whole book, right? Mark 9 and 10. So read those. We'll, we'll talk, we'll talk, those, those will be online. Watch those online. And I encourage you to be back here on Wednesday night over in the other building. And we'll do a little I, I, prayer share. We're going to pray. And if you've got something that God's been dealing with, we'll, we'll listen to that. Might be, might be that you found some uh, devotional or something that's really touched you, so do that. Enjoy your day. Take time to greet one another and hang out in here. It's warmer in here than it is outside. <laughs>